Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. And joining us now to talk week two, props, and all sorts of fun stuff, John Daigle from 4 for 4 and BetSports. John, thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right on in because I have been focusing intently on this Chiefs-Jaguars game. Obviously, Mm -hmm. Travis Kelsey returning is going to matter a great deal. And Calvin Ridley is a a breakout superstar, uh, if he wasn't already. Uh, But especially in that offense where they really need him to be a deep threat, uh, he matters a great deal. Plus, I cashed on his prop last week, so that's also important. But when it comes to (laughs) props on this game, is there someone else we should be looking at? Since Kelsey's coming back, I can't imagine Noah Gray leads this team in routes run again. I think we're getting something a little (laughs) bit different in week two. And that's why I'm going to Christian Kirk's receiving prop, actually. And that'll probably shock some people. Since Kirk actually didn't run a route on less than 80% of dropbacks in any game with Trevor Lawrence last year. But then we saw what happened in week one where he didn't play in two wide sets and ran around in just 67% of dropbacks. But... The Jaguars were not pushed by the Colts. The Jaguars ran 11 personnel, used their three wide sets at only the 25th highest rate in the league. Uh, The Colts didn't force them to pass the ball, whereas if we get Kelsey, we think we're going to get pushed back. And if that's the case, the slot and Christian Kirk is where we want to go back to. Remember, these two games last year against the Chiefs, he had 12 and 14 targets. The Chiefs in week one allowed 123 receiving yards to the slot to Amon Ross St. Brown. And then last year, that makes sense, since in 2022, they allowed the fourth most catches to the slot. And so I try to ignore Kirk's 9% target share in week one and just think he's going to be on the field significantly more in a total that's one of the more fun ones, 51 points on the week. All right, uh, let's go to uh, a lower total game. How about the Jets and the Cowboys? Much has been made of the drop-off from Rodgers down to Zach Wilson. What is your prop play in this matchup? And to be pressured like Daniel Jones on over 60% of your dropbacks, this Cowboys defense, an absolute menace. Uh, I'm sure y'all have talked about it as well, how they had the nuts run out. It wasn't just the Giants who they – performed well and drowned Daniel Jones last year too it's not just Zach Wilson this week they get the Cardinals next week too uh Mm -hmm. anyone who has Cowboys defense in fantasy they're like basically a wide receiver one for the first month of the season it's absolutely wild but I'm going Zach Wilson under I don't know what what it's moved to now I got it at 178 passing yards and that is very low I understand that but just think of all the things this team is trying to come back from one, Aaron Rodgers got injured on the first drive of Monday night, and that team still had only 15 dropbacks. They basically tried to take the ball out of Zach Wilson's hand as much as possible. Not only that, but the Jets are now on a short week, and they're running Nathaniel Hackett's offense. Not only does Zach Wilson not get starting reps throughout camp, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers there, but this is Rodgers' offense with Hackett. This isn't what Zach Wilson was running last year either. So he's just being thrown to the wolves with something completely different. We're in his third year already. We've seen him his first two seasons uh i'm very much worried even at a low number so yes i do want zach wilson under love it love it packers at falcons i know you have an opinion on a side and a prop here this is an interesting matchup and the line has flipped it's moved what do you make of the game between the packers and the falcons and these two quarterbacks who we're trying to learn more about 
And I got the number Falcons one point home dogs on Monday. I'd still be willing to bet the money line though, um, with them being slight favorites. It, it's a terrible matchup, in my opinion, for the Packers. One, I know Jordan Love led Sports Center and he was the talking point, but he was actually bad. Like a 55% completion rate and bottom four and next gen stats completion rate over expected. So basically it was just always below average on passes that other quarterbacks in the league would have been average on. Uh, we all watched that Bear Packers game and how many secondary breakdowns, despite Chicago's putting all of their cap into their defense, it just didn't matter. Everything was broken in the, in the back end and Jordan Love took advantage of it with some long deep shots. But we also saw the Bears, although they ran 22 times, seven of their runs went for 10-plus yards, the second highest rate of any offense in the league. And you know what's about to punch you in the face. Arthur Smith is coming with this running attack. Last year, through all the season, the Falcons ranked top 10 and rate of eight-man boxes they faced, and it didn't matter. Their running back still led the league in yards per carry. Week one, they, of course, ranked top five and rate of eight-man boxes they faced. It didn't matter. They still beat the Panthers by three scores. They know, although it pisses fantasy players off, they know how to scheme an offense, and it's just the perfect fit for what the Packers don't do well. So I, I just think it's a tremendous matchup for Falcons defense and both Bijan and Tyler Algier. Oh, well, and the prop. Jaden Reed. Yep. Yes. Oh, I do want go. to talk about Jaden Reed because the box score, like Jordan Love, I think lied to us about Romeo Dobbs. Always great to see two touchdowns from a player. That's wonderful. But we don't get to carry those touchdowns over the next week and bet on those props. Uh, the usage <laughs> was so much better with Jaden Reed. Remember, Reed left the game in the third quarter with cramps. He missed, a couple, he missed a possession or two. But he still led the team in target share, still tied with Romeo Dobbs with 18% of the team's targets. And that's important because Dobbs was used like a tight end. Dobbs had a six-and-a-half-yard depth of target and just 10% of the team's air yards. He wasn't going downfield at all. He just happened to corral two targets inside the 10-yard line, whereas Reed was used downfield. But that high target share still... 18-and-a-half-yard depth of target and 34% of the team's air yards. That's how you explode. If basically in the results, in the box score, you underwhelm despite getting high opportunity and high usage downfield. So it seems like Reed is a player. We should absolutely chase his receiving props. You're not implying touchdown rate is volatile from one game to the next, are you? You're, you're not implying never have that guessed. One, are you, John? <laughs> I would never yeah, would have right. guessed that, no. I know. It's nuts, isn't it? Well, I, I do have more of a general question, but it also pertains to this Falcons offense because I think one of the big questions that a lot of us have involves Bijan Robinson's workload. Eventually, when will he be the bell cow back? If he will be the bell cow back, or will Tyler Algier still get significant playing time or 21%, whatever the case may be? But I'm curious when it comes to rookies in these, you know, key skill player positions. Maybe some of them didn't play as much as we thought they would in week one. But when do you think, in terms of over the course of the season, someone like Bijan or another rookie skill position player will get more snaps, will get more targets, carries, things like that? Historically, since we have to look at these things for fantasy football and pinpoint when they break out, at least for wide receivers, they break out in the second half of the season. It takes them a while to get everything under their belt. Even a player like Jonathan Mingo for the Panthers who has to play because they have no one else with juice in that offense. Um, at least he's a freak athlete. 
you would think it would come sooner than later since he did even finish second on the team in routes run, but those kinds of players, it usually does happen in the second half. So that's what we look for with wide receivers. For running back, it's unique because it's as you mentioned. We saw Jameer Gibbs get eased in despite leading every player and missed tackles forced. We saw Zach Charbonnet play behind DJ Dallas, and that's not going to happen. Uh, Charbonnet was a five-star prospect in college. Like, he's definitely going to earn a role here. And then, of course, Bijan, who had the best usage out of all of them, but I think that's just the way that offense functions. So does Bijan eventually become a three-down back? He probably should, but Tyler Algier, that's also disrespectful to him because he's really good. Uh, even we knew that last year in his last five games to lead the league in yards from scrimmage. Um, he's shown he has a ceiling. And to mix all these guys up, I think is what's going to happen in Atlanta. For Bijan, it's also interesting because he ran around on 75% of dropbacks. He was basically used as a wide receiver. But they have Cordero Patterson coming back, and they made that special spot on their roster for him called the Joker. We don't know who he takes away from, if it's Bijan <laughs> or Algier. And more importantly, remember, Arthur Smith doesn't care. He, he took Drake London and Kyle Pitts in the first round. It doesn't matter. He doesn't scheme them targets. They're out there as decoys for his running game. So it's, it's an interesting question. I would think for the running back, it's coming much sooner than later. But for wide receivers, we're probably looking at these guys uh, week nine on, except for Jaden Reed who is now stumbling into this opportunity given Christian Watson's consistent absences. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to monitor. I mean, before last week's season opener, the Lions are like, we're going to work in Gibbs slow. We're going to work in Gibbs slow. And that's what we saw. But now this week, after one game, they're like, yeah, he's going to get more work. <laughs> we want, yeah, we they want saw him play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to talk about 49ers Rams. I'm glad that you have an opinion on this one. The numbers come down a little bit. Uh, San Francisco, seven and a half point favorite, the total 44 and the hook. It feels like people want to fade the Rams, but now they're confused after last week. They're not quite sure. Are they going to be the hard fade that we thought in the off season? What do you think? I don't know. Like them, I don't know if they're the hard fade. They probably are. I mean, Matthew Stafford, he just threw me for a loop. He was whipping it around. He mm -hmm. looked so good. Um, but also, all we did all offseason long was talk about their defense with only two players drafted in the first two rounds and their offensive line, which in week one didn't allow a single sack or hit. We also don't expect the 49ers to only put up 12 total yards of offense in the second half like the Seahawks did. So lots of moving pieces here. But at least we know that the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan have had Sean McVay's number. At least 20 points on the board in their last five matchups against the Rams. And Brock Purdy, all he does is be good and everyone doubt him. Top 10 in completion rate under pressure last year. Uh, top 10 in completion rate again in week one. And the Niners were one of only four offenses in week one to finish with at least 20% of their passes to gain 15-plus yards. So we think their nightmarish pass rush is coming and going to have success. It's, uh, and we think the Rams' offensive line holding up was a fluke last week, not to mention the Rams' consistently poor points on teams, uh, including last week. So that's kind of where I'm at right now, especially the way these guys are being used. Christian McCaffrey, they spent all offseason suggesting that the goal is to keep him healthy for the end of the year. And then his 83% of the team's backfield touches were his highest in any game with Elijah Mitchell. They turned him into vintage CMC with the Panthers instead of actually keeping him healthy. And he, of course, looked amazing. Not to mention the Rams also allowed, despite the Seahawks' struggles last week, 4.7 yards per carry on the ground. So we think McCaffrey can have immense success here. 
And we got a little IU breakout. That's exciting. But we know yeah. Samuel has historically doused the Rams. Sean McVay has had no answer, which is also why I kind of think he drafted Puka Nakua since Nakua had 350 rushing yards his last two years at BYU. But Debo has averaged 11 yards per touch since he joined the 49ers against the Rams. Uh, not to mention, I think that game plan last week for the 49ers was a target Patrick Peterson. Peterson defended the most targets of any player on the Steelers and was on the field and in coverage against Brandon Ayuk for both of his touchdowns. But it was Debo Samuel who ran around on every single drop back. He didn't come off the field on offense, whereas Ayuk did. So it seems like a game where everything comes back to Debo, and no matter what, the 49ers are going to have success. So it's enough to still question what the Rams are in 2023, whereas I don't have any questions what the 49ers are. So I like the 49ers. Puka Nakua is just so fun to say. We're going to talk about wide receiver leaders later in the show. I want to ask you about the Raiders traveling across country to the Bills. This line at eight and a half, total at 47. We've seen Josh Allen be inconsistent. Are we getting good, Josh Allen? Is this a bounce back spot for Buffalo? I would imagine it's a bounce back spot. What I'm really hoping for is that this game can be fun because the Raiders and Broncos were top offenses in week one. You wouldn't know it, but in terms of points and yards per drive, like both the Raiders and Broncos uh, finished their drives at a top seven rate with, with scoring points. They just had the bottom two fewest possessions of any teams in the league. The Raiders only ran six, seven drives. The Broncos only ran six possessions. So, like, we didn't actually see them have volume, but they were putting points to the board when they were driving at least. For Buffalo, though, we know that historically Josh Allen has just struggled under Robert Sala. It's a small sample, but even last year, he didn't pass for more than 205 yards in either of his games. He really just got there on the ground. So we shouldn't have expected him to have success in this first matchup anyways. But now we get the Raiders, who ran zone coverage at a top 10 rate. And I know Stephon Diggs dominated target share from Josh Allen in week one, but zone coverage has been Gabe Davis's calling throughout his career. Even just going back to last year, 60% of his targets came against zone coverage, and he averaged the ninth most yard per catch uh, among any other receiver. His yards per route run doubled against zone coverage compared to man. And so if that's the case, I think we have a dwindled down target tree for Josh Allen, who we believe is going to have success. Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and I like Gabe Davis receiving overs as well. About 30 seconds left, maybe 15 seconds left, John. Uh, Dolphins, Patriots, which receiver should we be eyeballing for Miami? It's still Tyreek Hill, the king. 32.5% uh, target share in his 13 games of Tua last year and 34% target share in week one. That's par for the course. That's just what he does. It wasn't an anomaly whatsoever. Do the other targets get dispersed since Jalen Waddle averaged a 22% target share last year and just 11% in week one? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if Durham Smythe is a real thing. I'm still trying to figure that out. But either way, the <laughs> fact that they're opening it up to Braxton Berrios, to River Craycraft, trying to get a little more creative is great news for the over in that game and Miami's offense moving forward. Love the over on that one as well. Tailing that one. John Daigle, four for four in Spurts. Thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we return to our week two analysis. We'll start with Chargers at Titans right here on the BetQL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network.